0: Hello, and welcome to Pro Tour Talk with Steve Dodge. I'm Steve Dodge, and today is August 1st, 2018. This is the month that the two final Pro Tour events happen, and that's what our first AMA question is about, but we're going to answer it second. Also, we've got an interview with Rebecca Cox. We go over power rankings, and we go ahead and revive our podcast of the week that and more coming up on this episode of pro tour talk you ready hello there race fans and welcome to the pro tour talk ask me anything if you'd like to get a question on the pro tour talk go to dgpt.com ama and ask me anything the two questions that we're going to take this week first question is a really fun one Does Paul play better when Ricky is not there? Uh, There's a lot of ways to look at this question. Uh, I decided, obviously, I would take the most simple way and the most direct way. So, this most simple way is just looking at how Paul does, in where, where he finishes in place when Ricky is there versus when Ricky is not there. So, when Ricky is playing in a tournament... And Paul is also playing in a tournament. That's happened 11 times this season. And uh, of those 11 times, Paul Macbeth has won one of those events for a winning percentage of 9%. Pretty good winning percentage. I think uh, I would be very happy with a 9% winning percentage. Um, interestingly, he is 4-7 and seven against Ricky Uh Over that stretch, Uh, he, he won one of the first five and since then they've gone three and three. So with the events that Ricky and Paul both are there, there have been 11 of them. Paul has won one of those events and he's beat Ricky four out of the 11 times. When there is no Ricky there, he has won. There have been five of those events and he has won four of them and gotten a second place once for a, this is difficult to calculate, 80% winning percentage. So, when Ricky's there, Paul wins 9% of the time. When Ricky's not there, Paul wins 80% of the time. So the other way to do this is to do the direct method. So I went ahead and reached out to Paul and asked him, do you play better when Ricky's not there? And uh, Paul, being a good sport, Went ahead and just replied. He said, no, I don't play better when Ricky's not there. It just shows how far ahead of the other players he is when compared to players like myself, Eagle, and Simon on a consistency basis. Other players can win, but that's a powerful four players to beat out. And uh, I'll reword that to say that Paul is basically saying those four guys are the cream of the crop right now in disc golf. And when any one of those four guys is present, it's going to be tough to win. So, you heard it here. Paul Macbeth does and does not play better when Ricky is not present. Clear? Clear. The second listener question and this is actually submitted from a touring pro, which is really fun, is how many points will be needed to make the finals? In case we don't get any more AMA questions ever again, I'm gonna break this out into two episodes. So I'm gonna answer the first half this week and the next half next week. So the first half we're gonna do, we're gonna do the top four women and the top eight men. And uh, those are the group that make it in, they get a buy into the semifinals in the tour championship. So let's start on the women's side. This is going to be uh, in depth. You got to listen carefully. Paige, Sarah, Katrina, and Jess, Jessica have it pretty much wrapped up. Next week, we'll talk about the cut line to make the tour championship, which is the top 12 on the women's side. But barring anything crazy happening, those women will be the four getting a bye into the semifinals. I'm rooting for Lisa Fakus at Ledgestone. I want her to win that event to prove me wrong and make Jessica and Katrina have to work hard to get into the four. But right now, barring that happening, it looks like those people are set. On the men's side, however, it's not quite so clean. Just the way we like it. So let's run through the eight. The top eight in tour points on the men's side earn a bye into the semifinals. That's a pretty big advantage as you just need one win, one good lap around the course to make it to the finals. Who will be in the eight? Through Through seven events so far... Eighth place has 234.5 points. Factoring in the two drops, that's an average of 47 points, give or take. Extrapolating this out, eighth. Whoops. Extrapolating this out, the number of points needed to make the top eight is going to be 47 times seven, which is the number of events that we count. Or around 330 points. However, Let's go in depth a little bit with the sole goal being of figuring out what exactly it will take to be in the eight. So just like on the women's side, some men seem to have their spots pretty locked up. Paul, Ricky, and James namely have their spots secured. They are first, second, and third. They have lots of points. They're playing the final two events. They will make the eight. So that's Paul McBeth. Ricky Wysocki and James Conrad, you heard it here, those men are moving on into the eight. Eagle is the only player in the top 12 with a good shot at making the eight that is not playing the final, one of the final two events. He's not, he won't be at Ledgestone, but he will be at MVP. If he finishes top 10 at the MVP open, he should be in with 362 points or more. However, Maple Hill is a finicky course. If he finishes outside the top 10, Eagle McMahon could get dropped out of the eight. And wouldn't that be an interesting turn of events? So the next three guys after, so we've got Paul Rickey and James are in. Eagle should be in with a top 10 finish at Maple. The next three guys, Garrett Gerthy, Drew Gibson, and Grady Shue. Or as I call them, G's, Drew, and Shu. Those are the next three. They sit between 250 and 260 points with a target of 330, as we've already calculated. So basically they just need to finish in the top 15 at the next two events and they will get in. A top five finish in either event should secure their spot as well. So those guys definitely they control their own destiny. GG Drews and Shu. You guys should be able to make it in if you continue to play the consistent quality golf you've been doing. And uh, this brings us to the most inconsistent favorite, least favorite player I've ever known. Jeremy Colling. If this guy can win another event, just like he did in Waco, his ticket is purchased. He is in the eight. If he cards another couple finishes outside 35th, as he's already done this season on the Pro Tour, he's falling to the next group.
1: Look out below!
0: Jeremy is the true wild card here. Anything could happen, and has, with his game this season. Outside of his win at Waco, he's averaged just 25 points. That's about the same points you'd get for finishing 24th which isn't a bad finish, but if you want to be in the 8, it is way too low. If he does that, his point total is going to be 284, and the door is wide open. So Jeremy Colling could get as low as 280 to 284 points, or as high as 360. He could be—the it, its it, the range is ridiculous. But let's let's just say for a second Jeremy leads that leaves that door wide open, who could step through looking at nine through 12, Johnny McRae is only playing one event right now. If he signs up for the MVP open. Okay. Then he should be a part of this conversation, but until then we're going to leave him out. Kevin Jones, Eric Oakley and Nate Sexton are the other three guys that are within 10 to 12 points of Jeremy Colling. Eric Oakley. I'd say would be considered the dark horse among those guys. He's got the longest odds. Uh, His average points at his top five events is 45 with two top 10 finishes. Extrapolating that out puts him at 317, well ahead of Jeremy Coling's anticipated low of 284. So, Eric Oakley, keep up what you're doing. If Nate Sexton and Kevin Jones decide to not do as well as they've been doing, you've got a shot. Or if you can get another third place like you did in Jonesboro, you've got a shot. The next guy, Nate Sexton, very interesting player in these scenarios. He sits at 220 points, 12 points behind Jeremy Calling, but he's only played four events. That means one of his events is a total, he has zero points. He's averaged 55 points in the events that he has played, and he's playing in the final two events. 55 times 2 is 110, add that to his current 220, that puts him right at 330 points, if you remember about a minute and a half ago, 330 points is the exact target we set for the 8th place floor, Nate Sexton is on the exact bubble to make the eight. Oh, goodness. So, yes, that's how exciting that is. Um, if he does exactly how he's been doing, I don't know if he's going to get in. It's going to be super close. And that brings us to Kevin Jones. Kevin Jones is literally two points behind Jeremy Colling. In the six Pro Tour events that they've both played, and what I mean by that is if Kevin beats Jeremy in an event, or if Jeremy beats Kevin in an event, They will flip. You know, if Kevin beats Jeremy at Ledgestone, he will be in eighth and Jeremy will be in ninth. And if Jeremy beats Kevin, then Jeremy will stay in eighth. But it's basically a tie. Whoever wins over the next two events is in. So what I think is interesting is let's look at what they've done in the past six events that they've both played. Uh, Jeremy did better in three of them. And Kevin did better in three of them. Huh. So let's... Now, we've got two events. Ledgestone, which is kind of a wide open OB infested course, and we've got Maple Hill, which is kind of a good mixed course. So let's look at where these guys won. Jeremy won at Memorial, which is a wide-open course. Uh, Although Kevin did better at Utah, which is a wide-open course. All right, so scratch that. Uh, Jeremy bested Kevin at Waco, which is a great mix of Woods and Open, uh, and Kevin bested Jeremy at d which is also a good mix of Woods and Open. Okay, so scratch that. Jeremy beat Kevin at San Francisco, which is really long with a lot of elevation, and Kevin beat Jeremy at Jonesboro, which is really long with a lot of elevation. Okay, So, these two guys, I've got no clue what is going to happen. I'm not making that prediction, but I will definitely be watching that race. This is going to be an exciting finish to see between Ledgestone Ledgestone Insurance Open, presented by Discraft, and the MVP Open at Maple Hill, which of those two guys comes out on top, and will Nate Sexton just slide on by both of them, knock them out? That's what could happen. And then there's always Eric Oakley. So... Presuming that Gigi's Drew and the shoe don't fall apart, we're looking at whether Nate Sexton, Eric Oakley, or Kevin Jones can surpass Jeremy Colling for that eighth spot. Next week, we will go down into the, the next cut, which is the 16, and we'll go ahead and do some analysis to see how many points you need to make the top 32. Stay tuned. Don't change that dial. And do hit the subscribe and the like and the bell. Is there a bell on your podcast? What's going on here? All right, folks, time for the Power Rankings update for July 30th. We update the Power Rankings on the Monday after all of the big events each weekend. And looking at the Power Rankings on the men's side, we've got Eagle McMahon, Ricky Wysocki, Paul McBeth, and Simon Lazat in our top four positions. Uh, then there's a little bit of a drop. Those guys are all be 97 to 87% winning, winning percentage against 1,000-rated players at, at quality events. And uh, then we have a drop to Nate Sexton, who's at 80%, and then Drew Gibson at 76.4%. Uh, big movers this weekend, uh, Chris Dickerson, who uh, won the uh, Charlie Vettner Open in Louisville, Kentucky. He, uh, he moved up a spot past Kevin Jones, who carded a second place at the Des Moines Challenge. Uh, James Conrad's second moved his, moved his percentage up just a tick, while Michael, Michael Johansson moved up three spots to 18th and Andrew Presnell moved up four spots to 31st. Those guys jumped the most. Uh, we have one more off week and then Ledgestone. Interestingly enough, on the website, we only show the top 25. But if you do well at a tournament and you move up four spots, we're going to go ahead and tell you that how people are, are ranked outside the top 25 because we've got all that data. It's nice to have the secret stash On the women's side, Katrina Allen recovered nicely from Idlewild with a convincing win at the Des Moines Challenge. Holly Finley's second-place finish moves her to just two percentage points away from her first top-ten ranking ever. Paige Bjerkus, who sits in 11th, and Ellen Widboom, who sits in 16th, improved their win percentages with their 1-2 finish at the previously mentioned Charlie Vettner Open. And that's it for our... Pro Tour Power Rankings Update. Thank you guys, and let's see what's next. Hello everyone, we are joined by
2: Rebecca Cox. Hello Rebecca Cox, how are you doing today?
1: I'm great, how are you?
2: I'm doing fantastic, thank you very much for asking. So Rebecca, congratulations on your uh, third place finish at Wild. that was a great showing.
1: Thank you. Thank you.
2: When you enter into a pro tour event or a national tour or even a major, do you have the expectation to, that you're going to get into the top three? What is your goal these days?
1: Um, these days, I um, I like to look at the course and see what's realistic for me, um, but mostly I like to hit top five, top ten, depending on how many women there are and who's there.
2: So let's look forward to Ledgestone, and let's go ahead and set expectations, because that's the, that's the greatest way to, to push yourself. Right. Uh, Ledgestone has, I think, 25 women or so, uh, and you, I don't know if you know Northwoods and Sunset very well, but uh, what would you be your expectation? Where are you looking to get at the Ledgestone?
1: Well, this will actually be my first year at Ledgestone, so I haven't seen any of the courses or anything like that. Um, but I, I would love, I would love to place top five, but I would be happy with top 10.
2: Okay. And, uh, those are are two things. It's good to to recognize (laughs) that what you want and what you kind of need are, are different. Um, Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) So, uh, it'll be fun to see you, uh, on those courses and, uh, at Ledgestone and see, uh, see how you perform. When did you start playing disc golf?
1: I started playing when I was eight years old. So I started out very young.
2: Eight. That is amazing. Do you have any pictures or videos of you playing when you were that young? Uh,
1: I think I do. Yeah. Um, I know I have some pictures. They're Actually, it's funny. My, my dad's been playing since, like, before I was born. So he has pictures of him playing and pushing me around in a little baby stroller on the course. <laughs> <laughs>
2: Those are those are probably very good pictures. So um, the best question to always ask a woman is how old are you?
1: I am twenty two.
2: Twenty two. Do you've been playing for fourteen years.
1: Yes, on and off.
2: On and of course, on and off. Yeah. When, yes. I mean, when you're ten you don't go out and play every day. And uh, right. when you're in high school <laughs> you don't you don't play every day. Um, But you've had the the, the, the disc golf uh, bug inside of you for 14 years, and uh, when did you decide, gosh, this is super cool, was it right off the bat, or was it something that you slowly morphed into?
1: Um, It took a little bit of time. I know when I graduated high school, I kind of branched away from disc golf because I, I was kind of burned out on it. You know, I had been doing it for so long. I kind of wanted to venture out and see what else I would like. And then I decided I would try and get back into it seriously. And then when I started tour, that's when I really realized like, wow, this is super cool.
2: So when did you start to tour and why did you start to tour?
1: Well, I started touring at the beginning of 2017 and I I did that because, well, for many reasons, really. Because uh, <laughs> I spent a couple years in college trying to figure out, you know, what degree I would want and what career path I would like to take. But everything I started, I didn't like. And I, when I really thought about it, I thought, wow, disc golf is something that, you know, I'm good at. I have this skill set. I have this experience, and I really enjoy it. So I thought I'd go out on a limb and, and try that.
2: So uh, when you were in college, what were you, do you know, had you decided a major?
1: Yeah, the first major I started out with was nursing, and then I kind of changed that uh, from nursing to biology, and then I kind of (laughs) just took prereqs pretty much because I just didn't know.
2: (laughs) (laughs) cover Cover your bases.
1: Yeah, trying to give myself more time to figure it out.
2: You become nimble and you can do anything once you finally decide what you want to do. And then uh, you went to college for two years?
1: Yes, I went to um, a university for a year, and then I went to a technical college and got a certificate.
2: Oh, okay. So that is, what is your certificate in?
1: Uh, it's in skin care, so technically I'm a licensed esthetician in Tennessee.
2: <laughs> a licensed what?
1: esthetician. It's just a skin care specialist.
2: Is that the word that starts with A E S T?
1: Yeah, <laughs> it's real funky. I've
2: I've seen that somewhere, and it, it has something to do with I, I assume aesthetics, but it sounds like anin ad- aesthetics. Yeah. Okay. Um, well, I've got a fingernail here that just won't heal. Maybe you could help me.
1: Out with that. <laughs> I don't know if I can help you out with that, Steve. So,
2: <laughs> no, nobody can. The doctor <laughs> says I just have to lose it. Once I move, I can start over. Um, but so uh, you started, decided to start playing after a couple years of college, and uh, at some point, you were actually sponsored by Ricky Waisaki, Is that correct?
1: Yes, yes. Actually, at the very beginning of 2017.
2: And at the time, did you have a sponsor? Well, how did how did Ricky find out about Rebecca Cox?
1: Well, Ricky. Um, decided to do a stocky bond sponsorship where he was going to sponsor one woman and one man and have those two, you know, represent his team. And I decided that I would make a video and post it on Facebook and enter his competition. And and it turns out that he chose me. So Did, that's pretty much how that him happened.
2: About why, have you ever talked to him about why he chose you?
1: Not really. Actually, I did. Um, part part of the sponsorship was that he um, that we were did like a one-on-one type of round. Um, but I, I never really asked him.
2: <laughs> Wait, what do you mean a one-on-one type of round?
1: Like um, we play like a one-on-one round together, and we just you know he teaches me a couple things. You know, like a teaching type oh. of moment.
2: So he actually went out and like he doesn't know you from Adam and he goes out and he plays a round of disc golf with you and says this person is someone that I want to represent the sport.
1: Well, I, that was after he sponsored me, but yeah.
2: Of course, but he's doing that to try he's doing that to try to decide. Yeah. Well, I had no idea that happened. That is super cool. During that round, were you insanely nervous? Were you pumped? Uh, what, were you making great shots? Tell, tell, tell me a little about that round. That round matters.
1: Well, it was it was like a one-on-one flash of practice rounds for the both of us because it was actually um, at the end of a course at the um, Gentleman's Club Open.
2: So oh, Okay, yeah, before it became the Las Vegas Open
1: or Challenge. Yes, yes. Okay. So yeah, um, so we're playing that round together, and I, I'm basically just starstruck the entire time. He was like one of the really <laughs> top pros that I met, so he's throwing like hundreds of feet past me, and I'm just I can't even fathom how good he is.
2: And he's looking at you, saying this girl has potential.
1: Yeah, and it, it was it, I felt the pressure of that definitely.
2: That's. I can, I genuinely can't imagine. I will say that I've played nine holes with Ricky. Um, and happily I was, uh, not in a place where I was too worried about my performance. Um, <laughs> I, I, I will say I, I had a, like a hundred foot throw in on the last hole, so we tied on the last hole, which made me feel good.
1: But, <laughs> there you go. <laughs> uh,
2: other than that, you're absolutely right. It's, it's for a standard human, um, it is it is absolutely overwhelming to, to try to play this golf with someone of his caliber. Yes, um, absolutely. Now, during tournament mode, Ricky is quiet and throws his disc and, and follows it and is uh, first out of the gate um, and does not communicate a lot. Right. All right. Off the course, Ricky is fun and bubbly and full of life. Uh, yeah, During absolutely. that during that practice round, which was it?
1: Um, it was kind of a combination of both because I was asking him questions and, you know, asking him about his form and a couple of different other things, but I also was kind of afraid of, like, messing with his practice round, you know? <laughs>
2: <laughs> that's uh, that's a very – I'm glad that that came up. That's super-duper cool. So uh then you were sponsored by Ricky for a year. Uh, are you sponsored by anybody these days?
1: Um I have a few sponsors this year. Um I have the major one Latitude sixty four, um, the local Van that just hosted that wild, oh, and then fantastic. um California Crush by Jay Harbin. Uh
2: California Crush Jay Harbor of Huck Lab? Uh
1: yeah, Jay Harbin.
2: Oh, Jay Harpin. Yes. Okay, that's different. Jay Harbor is Huck Lab, which is what I thought I thought you said, but that sounds like a different. Is California Crush a clothing company? Yes. Okay. Uh, I I'm unaware of California Crush, except for the fact that they sponsor you, and now I'm going to go look them up. Okay. <laughs> so good on them, uh, and that's why people sponsor you and and other touring pros is because you guys say a word and other people say, huh, what's that? Right, right. Good on them. And Latitude 64, did Ricky have a hand in making that
1: happen? Um, Yes, he actually did. Um, I was interested in uh, the Trilogy Plastic and I had spoken to a couple of other, um, you know, Latitude-based players, including Ricky, and... I, I definitely think that helps with where I am now.
2: What you've been on tour for a couple of years now. Let's let's limit it to this year. So okay. this season, what is the most fun that you've had on tour uh, but off the course?
1: Um, I would have to definitely say um, doing the live commentary with Madison at the Adwild. and I've done commentary one other time with um, Courtney Cannon at the Michigan um, from the Desvoguen course, and I really thought I was going to hate it because I'm I'm not a very good public speaker, but it was so much fun. <laughs>
2: um, <laughs> and uh, I I didn't see the. Actually, I don't know that I saw very much of you with Madison either. I definitely didn't see you with Pixie. I'm obviously usually running around doing this stuff. So talking about when you were with Madison, what, what made that experience so fun and fulfilling for you?
1: Well, Madison is just such a sweet, bubbly person, and she's also super good at doing the live commentary. So whenever I had, like, an awkward pause or I didn't know what to say, she would just fill it in with whatever she had, and it was always perfect. And, you know, it was just fun working off of her energy.
2: Absolutely. I love awkward pauses. <laughs> so, um yeah, Madison is is very good at filling that kind of stuff in. And I assume you worked with Danielle to make that
1: happen? Yes, yes. Uh
2: she was a, she is a very good addition to the Pro Tour. We're very lucky to have her on board and I'm uh i think that the 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 same day shot by shot coverage happening in the first place is because of her and then the fact that she's able to work with with you all and, and get get you that extra exposure and get you the opportunity to to branch out and do other things it's it's all fantastic this whole uh the way this whole season has developed is, has been beyond anything i could have imagined and i'm 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 tickled that one of your favorite moments in the season is something that happened because we brought Danielle on board. That's oh really
1: yeah, cool. it's it's amazing. She worked so hard. Watching her like ride her bike on that toboggan course up and down those hills, just working with the women and trying to get them more exposure was just incredible. She's amazing.
2: I'm uh, I'm really glad that that somebody notices that because because it matters and uh, absolutely. And I'll, I, I, I trust that you will go ahead and give her a big thanks from both of us the next time you see her. Um so let's see. It feels like we should move on to a serious topic, if there is one. Okay. Um let's talk about uh let's talk about the tournament and the way the Pro Tour does tournaments and the way it uh, does yeah, runs tournaments the way other people, other big events run tournaments. Uh is there any topic that the pro tour does that you would be interested in discussing? How things are done and why they're done the way, and if they're done that way, and if there's another way that we can do them? Is there any anything that you, you have a preference to talk about?
1: Well, I don't know if I have much say in it, but um, I do have sort of an idea with uh, how the feature cards work.
2: I would love to hear it. We have the fan boat just went out on Monday, and uh, right. We'll be announcing on Wednesday when this actually when this podcast goes out. We'll be announcing the winners. Uh, what is your what is your thought?
1: Um, well, it's not that I particularly have a problem with the feature card. I think it's a really great idea, and I'm a big fan of it. Um, but I also know that a lot of local women or women who aren't on tour and don't play as much. When they, you know, get the money and enter into a tournament, they want to be able to see and play with, you know, their favorite women. And um, I know a lot of foreign women are also just sick of playing with the same people over and over and over again. So I think maybe doing, like, a randomized first round would be, I mean, just to put an idea out there you know, it would give, yes.
2: (laughs) I will say that I absolutely love that idea. And even more so, I love the reason for the idea. Um, Because it recognizes two things. First, in a lot of regions, there's not a lot of professional women playing disc golf. Right. Uh, in, up here in, in New England, uh, if you go to a relatively big event, there are three, maybe four, and a great event there might be seven pro women, and they play with they play with and against the same people over and over and over. And you're a hundred percent right about that. And realistically, at a pro tour event in the second round, those women who compete against each other all the time locally are probably going to be together in the second and third rounds. Yeah. Just just because they have the same skill set in all likelihood.
1: Right.
2: The other thing that it recognizes is that you and Paige and Sarah and Katrina and Lisa and, and everybody of your ilk, you guys matter. You have cachet. It's, and it, whether you recognize it or not, there's somebody now who goes and plays disc golf and gets to play with Rebecca Cox, and that matters to them because you're a touring pro. And when you throw that disc off a tee, you put everything you've got into it, and it is awesome to watch. And, uh, and if I could watch that and maybe steal the box from you a couple of times, that's <laughs> going to make my weekend. Um, yeah. So I absolutely love where that's coming from. So, and it's a it's a really good idea. And I'll I'm going to go ahead and continue to the tough place, which is we want to have same day shot by shot coverage, which which implies the feature card. And we both agree the feature card is a good idea.
1: Right.
2: but the two don't necessarily go well together, because if you take away uh, Paige and Sarah and Rebecca, and and one other player, uh, the fanboat player, those four players, in all likelihood, won't ever get to play with local people. And I don't, I don't know a solution for that.
1: Yeah, it's, it's very tough because I I do like the idea of a feature card and having, you know, all these top pros, you know, playing together and having good footage for the first day. But, you know, at the same time, we have that, you know, that barrier because it it does, it is unfortunate because I do meet fans and some of them are players and it's like, oh man, I really wish I could play with you because as, as a touring pro, when you play with people like that, you're really representing something bigger. And you're able to show them, you know, I'm trying to find the words. <laughs> you're well, you you're get,
2: able you to... Get to sh- you get to show them what, what this golf is about to you. Yeah. You get yeah. to have a personal interaction with them. Uh, and you get to potentially make a lifelong friend. Um, exactly. It, when when I, I i did go travel back in 2003 and uh i'm confident i don't this is 15 years later maybe it's not true so anymore but it feels like a lot of the people i met and i just played one round with them i could go travel and call them up and say hey can i you know you have a couch for me and they say heck yeah and dinner and uh and <laughs> you you make lifelong friends this way and if you're playing yeah. if the top if the top women are playing with the same women every every event you you, you miss out on that apportu- opportunity
1: yeah and it's, you're missing out on that type of experience too because it's not just beneficial for you know the women who don't play as much it's also beneficial for us as well
2: it's really interesting because right now what we do is we have the fan vote and that fills the fourth spot on the feature card and uh, the first person on the card is the past champion. So, for example, at Ledgestone, it's Katrina Allen, because Valerie's not there. And so Katrina's the, the previous champion, um, I think. And then uh, Paige Pierce is next, because she's uh, leading tour points. And then the next person is uh, Haley, because she's the event choice. And then the next person, the fan boat. And the fan boat obviously comes from the pool of touring pros. So it's interesting, though, because the touring pros obviously want to be on a feature card so that they can be seen. Wow. Well, Rebecca, you have truly done it because I don't know a comfortable solution (laughs) off the top of my head.
1: Yeah, and that's really the struggle of this whole situation. I don't have an easy answer. You know, I just have this, you know, this potential problem. <laughs> <laughs>
2: um, but you you can't fix something without recognizing that it might be broken or right. that it is broken. Um, and it's it's interesting to me because we want we definitely want to highlight the best women in the world, and the way to uh, so that people watch online, and the way to do that is to. Uh, have the past champion and, and the tour points leader on the card. Um, maybe the thing for us to do is to encourage the, the tournament directors um, to go ahead and and choose a local, you know, an up and coming local, and uh, rather than choosing somebody who they uh, just want to see on the on the on the feature card. But, again, that's going to be up to the tournament director. But we can we can at least uh, plant the seed, and then you see what happens.
1: Yeah, uh, yeah, I think that's a good idea and a great start.
2: What a, what an interesting, and I had no idea where you were going to go with that, and I'm very really <laughs> happy with where you went. Now let's go ahead and put it on the men's side real quick. Uh, okay. On the men's side, we have three feature cards, because we've got Central Post and Jomez and Live. So we have three feature cards, so three guys get in on the fan vote. That takes away 12 of the, theoretically, 12 of the touring pros. Uh, realistically, it probably takes away nine, and then the three fill-ins are uh potentially locals. But then we have, you have the, the other guys, like 10 to 40, uh, who do get to play with locals. And so the guys do a lot more mixing up. Um, you might not get... You might not get Ricky and Paul outside of those feature cards very often, um, right? But you do get a lot of the other guys, and so on the guys' side, it actually feels like we have a, a good a good working solution because if I'm a local 970 rated player and I just want to have a chance to have a round with Jeremy Colling, I've got that chance. So, yeah. But uh, so, but on the women's side, it, it comes down to numbers and. In a couple of years, this will probably work itself out because we'll have more women playing. But right now, it's, it's something we got to think about.
1: Right. Yeah. And that's just, you know, because the men's division is just so massive. If we were able to get the women's division up to a point like that, that would be amazing. But it's, we're just so small. It's really tough.
2: It really will be amazing, and uh I'll close by asking another question that we definitely won't have an answer to um, but the growth of the women's side is one thing that actually I have given some serious thought to uh whenever you have whenever you set something in motion uh or whenever i do and i'm usually if i'm doing if I'm setting something in motion for a business, what I try to think about is what happens. If I succeed and what happens if I fail? And, uh, on the women's side, like we've, we've put a lot of different things in place to help grow the women's game. If none of them succeed, we will, uh, sit down, we'll talk, uh, talk amongst the disc golf community again, perhaps talk more with the women before we start, and we'll try again. Uh, if we succeed, and let's pretend that next year the women's field double in size. Okay. And instead of having twenty-four women at these events, we have forty-eight women. The question becomes: Are we going to shrink the men's fields to accommodate the extra women? Huh? And uh, that is going to be a wonderful problem to try to deal with.
1: That is absolutely a wonderful problem because I did not even think about that.
2: <laughs> it's it's the next step and it's where well we, yeah we've already put quite a bit of thought into it and uh it's it's going to happen and it's going to happen in my opinion before the women can realistically do a a tour on their own if there's if there's 48 women in a in a field on average across all of the events that's not quite enough to support the a uh, women's tour Um, But it is enough to make it, to strain resources for a combined event. So it's going to be, I really, really hope that we get to that problem because just like this, just like the problem you mentioned about women not being able to play with the women that they really like, um, they will, that will work itself out. But we have to get to that problem in order to get past that problem.
1: Right, and then, I think it's almost a good problem it's, it's a better problem than the problem we're having now.
2: a hundred percent correct um and even good problems are problems and but it doesn't mean they're i mean they're they're better than the bad problem you could've had
1: <laughs> so
2: right you want you definitely want to get there, but the trick is to be prepared so that when you get there, you know what you're gonna do so right that's a... Uh, I hope that problem develops. I hope that locals being able to play with pros helps develop that problem. And, uh, let's, let's get more women on the course sooner rather than later so we can work through both of these problems as quickly as possible.
1: Right, absolutely.
2: And it it is really interesting because it has been a thought of mine for probably about a year. What are we going to do when we succeed on the women's side? Um, cause like right now we're selling out the men's side of tournaments in minutes. And yeah. the women's, like the women at Maple Hill, I think we have 32 women, but I've had it open. I've just left it open and I've said, I just want as many women as we can get. And I said, well, the sun's just going to have to stay up an extra 10 minutes if we get more women. And the men's side is limited though. And like if I say, well, next year we've got 48 women. I will literally have to have four less cards of men. And it's, <laughs> is that fair to the men? And it's just like, oh my gosh, this is, I, I don't know the best solution. <laughs> right. got, we got to, we got to start thinking about it yeah. it's coming. Have, do you see more excitement among local women than last year and the year before?
1: I definitely think I do. I've, I've definitely been approached by um, more women this year, like, who are excited about coming out and, and seeing us play and and having a chance to play in the same tournament as us. But, you know, at the same time, they're only watching us.
2: Yes, absolutely. And they're able to follow you. Yeah. Yeah. Um, when you go to a tournament, on average, how many discs do you sign?
1: Good question. If I'm on the feature card, I'm signing more <laughs> usually, but um, I do get asked at least a couple times now this year.
2: Okay. And it's interesting to hear you say that if you're on the feature card, you get asked a couple more because that's absolutely the reason people want to be on the feature card. You you are a brand now. Yes. <laughs> Which is a funny way to think about it, but it's true. Um, and being on the, uh, doing the, the women's coverage the commentary is you know builds your brand as well it's, it's It's pretty interesting how that's a a symbiotic relationship
1: yeah it's 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 very it's different it's i did, I never thought going into touring life that I would ever consider myself a brand or that I would ever have to think about all these different things that I do that contribute to who I am and how people see me
2: uh and the only reason you have to is because you've succeeded. Yes. <laughs> yeah. It's really interesting. If you fail, you don't have to worry about a lot of stuff. Right. <laughs> but if the pro-tory collapsed last year, we I wouldn't be worried about a lot of stuff but right now.
1: <laughs> exactly. Yeah.
2: Since we're succeeding, you're growing and you're moving forward. You've got to think about what's coming up. All right. Well, thank you very much. I suspect we could talk forever. Uh, It was wonderful talking with you,
0: Rebecca. Thank you.
1: Well, thank you so much. I'm glad that I was able to contribute.
0: I have to say, that was a very fun conversation with Rebecca Cox. uh, A very well spoken, thoughtful, insightful woman uh, who was really fun to watch. Um, I remember, I think it was at Waco. Uh, The first time I really saw her um, practicing around, and her drives, she puts everything into those drives. And I tell anybody who will listen, you can't fail if you don't try. And watching Rebecca Cox drive, you can see that she is putting her heart and soul into every one of those drives. And it is so fun to watch. I just love it. So, Thank you for the great conversation, Rebecca, and uh, I look forward to seeing you in Ledgestone, as we, as we just said. But moving, interestingly, uh, we're getting ready to wrap this first podcast up. It's been really fun putting this together for you all. I hope you enjoy it. Please go out and hit uh, the AMA, dgpt.com slash AMA. Ask us any questions you have. If you want to be a part of the Patreon conversation that we'll be having on Wednesday nights, please go to patreon.com slash dgpt and sign up to be a $10 or above Patreon, and then you will get an invited to our Patreon conversation that we'll have every Wednesday night going forward. Um and no, no topic is off the table for those conversations. Uh, I wanted to just go ahead and give a quick shout-out. Um, we've got some people doing call-outs for the Ledgestone Open during the women's coverage. Uh, if you would like to support the women's coverage, please email Danielle. That's she, her email is danielle at dgpt.com. And uh, first of all, congratulations to uh, Dave and Cynthia on their... Uh, exciting happiness and joy that will be joining them, I'm going to guess, in uh, five to seven months. Congratulations, you two. Uh, Congratulations to, or big thanks and shout out to Canadian Nationals. Uh, That's one of our Pro Tour test events next year. I think it's the weekend after Pro Worlds. So if you want a really great event to hit the weekend after Pro Worlds, Canadian Nationals is up in Prince Edward Island. Uh, insanely gorgeous location the tds and crew putting that on have seemed to have all their ducks in a row and they are all waddling north that time of year i'm going to guess right after the tournament they'll waddle south but anyway big shout out to them if you would like to put a call out on the women's coverage and support the pro tour go to dgpt.com slash call out these are 15 second call outs you could uh you could ask someone to go on a cruise with you. You could ask somebody to uh, to marry you. You could put out uh, put out a call for people to come play your tournament like Canadian Nationals is doing. You could advertise your disc golf store. You could do anything you want in a 15-second call-out. So go to dgpt.com slash callout. Support the tour. Tell someone you love them. Sell some golf discs. Whatever you want to do, we'd be happy to help you do it. And to close out the show, we will do our podcast recommendation of the week. This is a weekly segment of the podcast that we do about every three episodes. But today, it feels like we need to. Uh, We are going to recommend today one of my favorite podcasts. Probably the podcast that introduced me to the concept of podcasts, as a matter of fact. And it's called Planet Money. Uh, They started doing it back in the financial crisis of 2008 or so. And every day, maybe twice a day, depending on how catastrophic the news was, they would put out a podcast that explained what was going on and why. Uh, As the financial crisis uh, got resolved and became less and less catastrophic daily, they started to investigate why money moves the way it does, why why how money involves our daily lives, and uh, there's a lot of really interesting aspects to money that I never thought about before planet money. So a big shout-out to those guys and gals for putting together a great podcast. I really enjoyed their three- or four-part series where they actually made a planet money t-shirt from scratch they went down to a bunch of farms and they tried to buy cotton and uh and i don't remember how how they had to do all this but then they flew over to singapore and went to the factory where their shirts were actually being made and then they flew back they did a whole bunch of amazing things and it was really insightful and if i was younger and had a, a more malleable malleable brain i'd remember all of it but Suffice it to say, it was exciting and fun to listen to, and they make learning about money and the way that our economy works really interesting. So, shout out to Planet Money. Give it a listen. I hope you all have a fantastic evening. This has been Pro Tour Talk. I'm Steve Dodge. Good night.